Well, thank you to uh, all of you who have prayed for my family over the past week as flu apocalypse went through our home. Um, fortunately, only half of our family got it. Shelby and Shelby and Micah did, and so Judah and I, by God's grace, managed to to avoid it. So we're very grateful for that. Um, but uh, Derek was very gracious to be on standby to do music in case I was at home bedridden, and uh, he was even more gracious to still lead us in singing this morning when I was not bedridden. And uh, didn't he do a great job leading us, brothers and sisters? He did. So thank you very much, brother. We are uh, blessed and encouraged by your service to us this morning. Um, You know, on mornings like this, I look out and I I go, is it just going to be like me and my family and the elders at church today? You know, what's it going to be like? And and so it's uh, very good to see all of your faces here, of course, but uh, God was extra kind and bringing us Wayne and Pam this morning. So, so good to see you, brother and sister. We are so, uh, just so blessed by having you with us. And it's so good to worship alongside you again. Well, we are going to be jumping back into Matthew 18 today, back into our study through Matthew's gospel. And uh, I wonder how many times I'm going to be able to say that before we finish Matthew's gospel. I don't know. We, uh, I think, are on track to finish Matthew by the end of this year. Don't hold me to it. Don't hold me to it. God is sovereign over those things, but I think, I think we're on track. I think we can do it. We'll see. Uh, Matthew 18, we're jumping back there this morning. Verses 10 through 14 is where we'll be at today. Matthew 18, 10 through 14. Um, now, I, I tend not to watch a lot of movies where this happens. Maybe you do, right? It's a common theme in books, TVs, movies. Two people are in a relationship, but everybody around them wonders why. What does he see in her? What does she see in him, right? Everybody's looking and going, that, that guy's a train wreck. Why is she with him, right? They, they can't see what the appeal is. They don't see what the other person sees in that, in that partner. It's a mystery, right? Um, and, and that's usually fairly funny in movies or TV shows or, or books, right? It's less funny when it happens in real life. Um, and, and it's much less funny when it happens in the church. And I'm not talking about romantic relationships in the church, I'm talking about our failure at times to see and treat fellow Christians the same way that God does. What does God see in them? I can't see it. In our text this morning, Jesus confronts the tendency that we have at times to look down on difficult, weak, struggling, or sinning fellow Christians. And here Jesus will call us to have the same kind of care, to see them the same way, that our Heavenly Father does. Let's read our text together. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, He rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of God. Let's ask for his help as we hear it this morning. Our Lord and our God, we thank you again that we have another Sunday to hear your word. Lord, we're so grateful that we can open up your Bible that you have given us anytime we want and read your words to us. And Lord, this morning we we get to do something special as your word is preached, something that that doesn't happen during the rest of the week, but really only happens on Sunday mornings. And uh, Lord, we thank you that 
The preaching of your word is something that you use in your way for your purposes. And Lord, I I ask that you would um, preach a better sermon than the one I've prepared this morning and that you would bless your people with it. Lord, that you would pull back the layers of our own hearts and expose those places where perhaps we have despised a little one. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the same eyes that you have towards them. Please, Holy Spirit, come and bless the Word of God this morning to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we see three things in this text. First, Jesus begins with a command, don't despise disciples. And then he gives us a parable explaining why, illustrating why. And then he gives us a reason, God loves his disciples. Now, as we look at verse 10, um, we, we jump into the middle of this, this really discourse that Jesus has been having with his disciples about disciples. Um, you know, he's been talking throughout this whole chapter about discipleship, how it requires humility, how it requires repentance, how um, his disciples are considered little ones like children. And the chapter started off with Jesus referring to a child. Um, But as the the dialogue goes on, it becomes clear that Jesus is not talking about children when he says little ones, but about disciples, regardless of their age. And so when Jesus gives us this command in verse 10, do not despise one of these little ones, he's saying, do not despise my disciples. Do not despise my disciples. Now, if you recall, going back to verse 1 of this chapter, the whole discussion started with Jesus' disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? And um, Jesus really is kind of answering this in relation to that whole discussion. And all of the second person pronouns here, right, reach back to second grade English, you know, that's the you words, right? When you see you here in the text, it's plural. So Jesus isn't talking to one person. He's talking to a group of people, to his disciples. He's talking to all of them. Um, And really, all of us, too. This section that we're looking at today is how, uh, it's really about how disciples treat disciples. It's about how disciples treat disciples. And he commands us in verse 10, do not despise, right? See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, when we hear the word despise, we think hate, right? I despise that. I don't like it. Um, It's a little bit different here in the Greek. It means to, to scorn, to disdain, to think lightly of. Um, to, to mock, to show no respect towards. So it's not necessarily hatred, but maybe more along the lines of condescension, right? Uh, little ones here, again, are disciples. But it, it seems that in the context that this is a, a particular group of disciples, that these little ones has been narrowed down a little bit to refer to fellow Christians that may be difficult to love. Uh, Christians who may be, in, in the words of one commentator, weak, Fragile, easily offended, right? It's almost as if Jesus knows how naturally we can become annoyed, frustrated, aloof to difficult people, even in the church. It's almost as if Jesus knows that we can have that tendency sometimes. And he, in essence, tells us that we need to guard against such an attitude, that we need to avoid such a low view of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Because let's be honest, it's very easy to come to church and to talk to the people that we already have good relationships with, to 
to associate with the people that we have lots of interests with um, or, or only to interact with the people that we are comfortable with. And it's not that there's something wrong with that necessarily, but here's what it can lead us to do. If that's what we do every Sunday, it can lead us very easily to ignore those who are little ones in our midst. It can lead us to ignore those who are little ones in our midst. It can lead us to avoid them because we don't want to have an awkward conversation that makes us uncomfortable. Right? It can lead us to be short or, or even irritable at times in our interactions with them. And that is the same exact thing as despising them, viewing them as unworthy of our time and of our discomfort. Now, if you view your brother or sister as an inconvenience, or if you ignore them or avoid them, you're doing what Jesus is saying not to do here. You're despising them. That's what he's talking about. And that's why Jesus says what he does at the beginning of the verse. See that you do not despise them. See that. He doesn't just say do not despise them, but he says see that you do not do this. Uh, in other words, be watchful over this kind of attitude in your heart. We were doing our family devotions at home the other day. And we were going through Deuteronomy where God says to Israel, be careful to obey my commands. See that you are doing these things, right? Be watchful that you're obeying my commands. And, and, and my kids are not quite figuring it out. And so what we did is we pretended there was a tightrope in our living room, right? And if you're walking on a tightrope, you're looking exactly where every foot's going, right? You know, you're crossing that narrow bridge. You want to make sure that you are walking that path. You don't want to fall off, right? You're, you're being very careful to stay on that track. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying be very, very careful not to have this. Be watchful against it. Take it seriously. Don't let this attitude take root in your heart, he says. See that you do not despise even one of these little ones. That has no place in the body of Christ. That kind of demeanor has no place in the body of Christ. And, and we have to ask, right? Um, are you watchful over this attitude in your own heart, right? Have you perhaps been guilty of this in your interactions with a brother or sister without realizing it? I know I have at times. But brothers and sisters, we, we must be very careful not to allow that kind of perspective towards another disciple, towards a little one, to live in our hearts for a moment. And the instant we might feel that creeping in, we need to crucify it immediately and say, Lord, no. Help me to see them like you do. And look what Jesus says next in the same verse. He says, in heaven, their angels always see the face of God the Father. That's kind of an interesting part of this verse, right? It's an interesting little section. It's, it's actually been used to support the idea of guardian angels. Guardian angels. The, the idea that each person has an angel that's watching out for them on earth. Like you have an angel assigned to you. And you have an angel assigned to you. And you have an angel assigned to you, right? <clears throat> Um, now, I don't think this verse is clear enough to justify that interpretation, to stand on it, to say, yep, I believe that 100%. The verse just doesn't uh, teach that clearly here. Um, could be the case we have our own angel. I don't know. Maybe we do. Uh, but at the same time, this could just mean that angels in general are assigned to help believers. And, and that's what we see in the scriptures, right? Hebrews 1.14 says angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. 
So yeah, yes, angels do serve God's people in some way, right? Angels do help accomplish God, God's purposes in our lives. They do serve us. Um, but Jesus' point here really isn't about angels so much as it's about God. It's not about angels so much as it is about God. His point here is, is, is fairly simple. Whatever the nature of, of our relationship to angels um, or the relationship of angels to these little ones, these angels always see God the Father's face. Even the littlest believer, even the weakest believer, their angel sees God's face is his point. In the words of one commentator, Jesus is using picturesque language to bring out the truth that God in heaven is aware of the situation here on earth of even the lowliest of his people. Even the lowliest, God knows. He's aware. He cares. That's Jesus' point here. All disciples, whether young or old, rich or poor, mature, immature, strong, weak, matter greatly to God. And he gives great care towards you. All of them. Uh, just because a Christian struggles a lot or, or has weak faith or is mired in sin or just can't seem to get life right, it doesn't mean that God despises them. And neither should we. Now, Matthew Henry, the old Puritan, rightly said, let not earth despise those whom heaven respects. And so Jesus commands here, uh, verse 10, he commands us to have the same view of our brothers and sisters, especially the difficult ones, as God does. And to illustrate this, he gives us a parable in verses 11 through 13. That brings us to our second point. A parable about seeking straying disciples. Uh, now, as we read through the text this morning, uh, some of you may be wondering where verse 11 is. Right? We jump from verse 10 to verse 12. Now, others of you who may be using the King James don't see a problem at all because verse 11 is right there in your, in your Bible. Um, now, we've encountered this kind of thing a couple times in Matthew so far where uh, there are verses that are not in the main part of the text in some modern translations, but they are in the main part of the text in older translations like the King James or I think the older NASB has it. Um, what's going on? What's going on? Um, well, these verses really aren't missing in our modern translations per se. If you were to look at your, your Bible, you'd see a footnote probably down at the bottom of the page that says, some manuscripts add verse 11, for the Son of Man uh, came to save the lost. You see that there, so it's acknowledged. Uh, but the reason why the ESV, for example, doesn't put it in the main text is because this verse, verse 11, is not found in the oldest manuscripts that we have of Matthew. And if it's not found in the oldest manuscripts, that means that um, the chances that Matthew wrote it with his own hand are, are, are probably smaller, right, than if we only find it in later manuscripts, right? Because it could have been added by a copyist or a scribe or something like that. Um, and the King James translators didn't have the manuscripts that we have today, right? They had a very small group. Um, so there is some question about whether Matthew actually wrote verse 11 or not, or whether it was added later. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's what it boils down to. Um, whether or not Matthew wrote verse 11, is the content of verse 11 consistent with what we find Jesus saying elsewhere in Scripture? Yes, it is. So if Matthew did write verse 11, it's not like it's contradicting anything else in the Bible. If Matthew didn't originally write Matthew or verse 11, we still find the same content elsewhere. So no harm, no foul, no need to panic. Uh, verse 11 would say, of course, the Son of Man came to save the lost. Now, it's true that Jesus' mission is not to save people who don't need saving, 
Jesus's mission is to save people who do need saving, uh, which is, which is uh, you know, uh, just about everybody, of course. Everybody needs to be saved, right? Nobody is righteous enough that they, uh, you know, don't need salvation. Um, but that emphasis, Jesus saving the lost, that's actually the emphasis of Luke's version of the parable of the lost sheep. Right? We find that emphasized in Luke. Uh, as Jesus tells it there, and how Luke records it there, the emphasis is on unbelievers becoming believers. But here in Matthew, the focus is a little different. It's more on straying believers being rescued and brought back to the fold. Let's get into the parable a little bit, looking at verse 12. Jesus describes a scenario. A a man has a flock of 100 100 sheep. One goes astray, wandering off as as sheep are prone to do. So, So we have three characters in the parable here. Um, We have the shepherd, we have the straying sheep, and we have the 99 who remain behind. And it's always good to ask, what's represented by these figures in the parable, right? What's represented by these? Well, the shepherd naturally is Jesus, right? He refers to himself as the good shepherd numerous times in the gospel. Um, So we can say, yep, that's that's Jesus here. The entire flock of sheep is God's people, right? That's God's people. That's believers. Um, Those are Christians. And the 99 sheep who do not stray, are Christians who are, are walking well, right? They're not perfect, but they're consistently living the Christian life. They're growing, they're stable in their faith, um, they're, they're maturing in Christ. That's the 99 there. The straying sheep, then, is a believer. It's a believer, but one who is straying. One who's straying. Uh, the old-fashioned term would be backsliding, right? Backsliding going backwards in their walk with Christ and in their spiritual life. They're not growing, but they're, they're maybe um, withering, right? They're, they're decreasing in their graces. And it's important to note this isn't a goat that has strayed, is it? It's a sheep. It's a sheep. This is a genuine disciple of Christ, this straying sheep. This is a person who's wandering away from his shepherd and his fellow sheep. And, and yes, Christians can backslide. Christians can stray. In what ways can Christians do this? Well, Christians can stray into worldliness, becoming more consumed and concerned with worldly pursuits and pleasures than they are with Christ and His church. Christians can stray into seasons of sin, where they pursue sin without repentance for a time. Um, Christians can stray into seasons of being angry with God and giving Him the cold shoulder, saying, I'm not reading my Bible, I'm not going to church, I'm not having anything to do with God right now, I'm mad at Him. Uh, Christians can stray away from any sort of meaningful relationship to other Christians, even avoiding public worship at all. Uh, Now, it's possible that some of you here or even watching online are are real Christians, but maybe there's an area in your life where you're straying from God in some way right now. Christians can do these things. Christians can stray. You and I are not immune either. You and I are not immune. Uh, That's why the scriptures say repeatedly, keep watch. Be sober-minded. Fix your minds on Christ. Because the minute we stop doing that is the minute we start drifting. That's actually a a huge reason that regular participation in corporate worship is so important. Um, For for some of you, you you, you may not even crack your Bible during the week. You may not read God's Word at all. You may not have any exposure to Scripture between Sundays. And if you didn't hear God's Word on a Sunday, uh, you wouldn't hear any Scripture at all you would slowly start to stray without any of God's Word in your life. But coming to hear the Word of God preached, to sing songs about Him and His works, to pray, to have godly conversation, 
All those things actually help keep us anchored to Christ. Those are important, and we should read our Bibles throughout the week, right? But again, it is possible for Christians to stray, and, and what happens when they do? What happens when they do? What happens in the parable when this sheep strays? How does the shepherd here respond? <clears throat> is he apathetic? Does he go, oh, well, I've got 99 sheep left. Not a huge loss. Is he, is he fearfully avoiding the situation, saying, well, I don't really want to go find that sheep. There might be scary things out there in the wilderness. I think I'm just going to stay here. Uh, is he relieved? Does he say, man, that sheep just wouldn't stop biting me. That sheep was a handful. I'm, I'm glad they're gone. What's the shepherd's response? These are all responses we may have, but, but not the good shepherd. No, his response in verse 12 is to leave the 99 stable sheep in the mountains where they're secure, where they're safe, and he goes in search of the one that went astray. He goes in search of the one that went astray. Now, when we break it down to the math, only 1% of his flock is missing. If 1% of my kids' toys went missing, they wouldn't notice. Right? They'd have no idea. 1% is not a major number to us, but it is to the Good Shepherd. Every sheep, every little one matters to him. For us, that one difficult straying sheep might be the one we're most tempted to look down on, but for Jesus, that sheep is of great importance and needs to be rescued. As we look at verse 13, if the man does find the sheep, how does he respond? He doesn't scold the sheep. He doesn't beat the sheep. He rejoices over it. He rejoices over that sheep that he has found. He's, he's glad to have found this little straying sheep. His gladness to have found it is far greater than any frustration he may have had that it was gone. Why? Because he's so glad that this sheep is now going to be rescued and protected and safe. But Jesus adds more. Look what he says in verse 13. He doesn't just rejoice over it. He rejoices over it more than the 99. He rejoices over it more than than the 99. Now, that's pretty striking, isn't it? He rejoices over it more than the 99. That's not to say the shepherd doesn't rejoice in the 99 at all, but he rejoices more in the one that he has found because of the circumstances. Let's put it in more human terms, right? Imagine as a parent, right? For those of you that have children or, or grandchildren, your, your, your child wanders away from home. Right? You're, you're frantically looking for the child. Your thoughts are consumed with finding that child because you're concerned about what's going to happen to them if you cannot find them. When you find that child, are you not overwhelmed with relief and love and joy? Absolutely you are. Does that mean you don't love the other three kids that are at home waiting? <clears throat> well, of course not. Of course you love them, right? But there is a greater rejoicing in that moment. There is a greater outpouring of love upon that child that you found because the danger of, of what they could have possibly faced is gone and they are now safe back in your arms. Do we have that same kind of concern for Jesus' straying sheep or do we rejoice more in the 99 that are stable rather than the one that we might be able to find? Do we, do we reach out to Christians, fellow Christians, who are struggling, who are weak, who are doubting God's goodness in their life maybe, who are straying into sin? Do we go after them? like the man in the parable. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't have to go after them, right? I'm not the good shepherd. That's not me. I'm, I'm not the shepherd. I'm one of the 99 sheep, maybe. <clears throat> and, and while it's true that you're not the shepherd, the Bible does make very clear in other places that you and I 
are actually used by Jesus, the good shepherd, to bring his straying sheep back. And we'll actually see that in the next part of Matthew 18 when we look at church discipline. Uh, but consider some other verses. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's, that's on our shoulders. That's work for us to do. Jude, verses 22 and 23, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Once again, where does the responsibility lie? Who does Christ use to bring back his straying sheep? We can use all kinds of things, of course, but he gives us very clear commands that we are to be involved in that, that we are to go after those who are struggling or doubting, or sinning. So in the parable, sure, we may not be the good shepherd, but the Bible is also very clear. We participate in that work of recovering, straying disciples. These are commands for you and me. We can't ignore the, the peril and struggles that our brothers and sisters may have. And it's not just for me you know, or the elders, right? It's for the whole body of Christ to participate in. Are you willing to go search for those straying Sheep, or do you find yourself apathetic, avoiding it, or, or relieved even? Right. This reveals our, our deep need to see God's people the way he does. And Jesus concludes this paragraph, this section, with a statement on that very thing. As he reminds us in verse 14, God loves his little ones. Jesus says, it is not the will of my Father who's in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish. <clears throat> now, the shepherd in the parable did not want any of his sheep to be lost or to be in danger. And in the same way, Jesus says, God the Father does not will that any of these little ones should perish. Uh, so what does that mean exactly? What does that mean exactly? Well, we need to define what sense of God's will is being used here, right? We talk about God's will all the time, and we, we can mean that in several different ways. So what, what's in view here in verse 14? Well, uh, there's several aspects to God's will. One is what we call the preceptive will of God. The preceptive will of God. Well, what does that mean? That's his moral will for us. Those are his commands, his precepts, right? Where he says, um, you know, we read this morning, the second commandment, right? God's will is that we would not make graven images and worship them. Do people still do that sometimes? Yes, they do. But God's moral will, his preceptive will, is that we would not do that. Another aspect of God's will is what we call the dispositional will of God, which is um, what is morally pleasing to him. For example, the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but again, it still occurs. It's not a pleasing thing to God, but it still happens. The third aspect of God's will, which which I think is what Jesus has in view here, is what we call God's decreative will. His decreative will. That's his will and his decree of what actually takes place. Right? When we say nothing happens without a reason, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, and I think that's what Jesus is describing here. God's actual will as it's accomplished in space and time. Now, verse 14 says that it is not God's will that any of these little ones, not a single one, should perish. Such a thing will not happen. 
Such a thing will not happen. This verse teaches that God will not let any of his sheep ultimately perish or be lost. They might stray from him for a time, but he will not let them ultimately be lost. This verse actually teaches something very comforting. That God protects and preserves his people. That God protects and preserves his people. God's will shall not allow any of these little ones to perish. Uh, you know, maybe uh, as an illustration, right? And I have kids, so these are the things that come into my mind. But you're at the park with your kid, and they don't want to come back to the car with you, and they start taking off across the park, right? Running away. Well, you might let them run for a little while, but you're not going to let them run into the street where they're going to get hit by a car. You're not going to do that. You will chase them down and grab them so that does not occur, right? In the same way, God will not let us ultimately be lost if we are his sheep. He may let us run across the park for a little while, right? But he's not going to let us perish. And we see Jesus teach the same thing in John's gospel. Turn there with me. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Some of the most comforting verses in all of scripture. Uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Oh, brothers and sisters, those are some of the sweetest words that ever fell from the mouth of Jesus Christ. That no one can snatch God's sheep out of Jesus Christ's hand. I love how Jesus says that his Father is greater than all and that he will ensure no one can take us. God the Father is greater than you. You must realize that. You cannot take yourself out of Christ's hands. You cannot snatch yourself away. God the Father is greater than you. God will not let any of his sheep perish. Um, there, there are Christians who believe that you can lose your salvation. And I, um, I'm going to say something very strong here and very bold, but I think the text of Scripture is so clear. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, you make Jesus Christ a liar. You make his words there in John 10 lies. If you can lose your salvation, then you can snatch yourself out of God's hands. And Jesus says that is an impossibility. Jesus very clearly says his sheep will never perish. They will never ultimately leave his hand and care. God will never lose a single sheep from his flock and his fold. And does backsliding happen? Yes, it does. Does seasons of rebellion happen? Yes, they do. But if a person is in the words of Romans 8, 29 through 30, foreknown by God, predestined by God, called by God, then they will be justified and glorified. God wills it and it shall happen. And and though they may stray from God at times, God will bring them back. Some of you have experienced this in your own life where you walked away from God for a season, where you strayed, and God was so gracious to bring you back to himself. Some of you have experienced this. You know this to be true. God never loses a child from his family. And in those moments when a prodigal returns, when a straying sheep is recovered, there is great joy. The shepherd rejoices. The father rejoiced over the prodigal son. God will not let any of his people, 
and that he will not let any of his little ones be eternally lost. The Bible's so clear about that, and I'm so thankful that it is, because as one pastor said, um, if you and I could lose our salvation, we would have done so already, right? It would have happened already. And so in reality, if a person strays from the Lord and, and never comes back to him, because that does happen, doesn't it? That's because the Lord is not seeking to bring them back. But we may not know that that's the case ever. We may not know. We may not know that on their deathbed. We may not know what God, do, God might do in the final moments of their life. We have no idea. But what the Bible is clear about is that if a person belongs to Jesus Christ, he will not let them perish, ever. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. A person who wanders from Christ and comes back hears the shepherd's voice. Now, Jesus is clear. God does not despise his straying sheep. He loves his disciples. He loves even the most, uh, to our eyes, difficult ones. God cares for them deeply. He does not despise his straying sheep, and neither should we. Oh, that we would see and love the little ones like God does. Let me close with one encouragement and one exhortation. To encourage you, if, if you are his... God will never let you stray so far that you are not lost or that you are lost forever. God will never let you stray so far that you are lost forever. He's not going to let it happen. He may allow you to spend some time in your sin and struggles. He may let you sleep in the bed that you that you make for a time. But if you are his, he will always bring you back. And if you are in that place of backsliding this morning, if you're in that place of struggling, if you're in that place of failing over and over and over and you just can't seem to get things right or you can't get over that sin or you don't want to get over that sin, if you're in that place of straying from the Lord, turn back to Him. Turn around. He's pursuing you to bring you back. Hear the shepherd's voice in Isaiah 55, 6-7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. If that's, if that's you, know that God loves you. He loves his little ones. He is eager to have compassion on you. Turn back to him. Hear his voice. And to, to exhort you, brothers and sisters, do not despise the lowly disciple. Do not avoid the difficult people in the body of Christ. Don't, don't, don't merely watch while people struggle or stray. Don't look at them from an external self-righteous perspective, but consider them as God does, beloved little sheep that are in need of help and grace. Seek after those who stray in the example of your Lord who sought you when you were far from him and brought you near because you may be that sheep one day needing others to come and rescue you. God is so kind to bring us back to himself, is he not? And may we have the same heart towards our brothers and sisters who struggle and sin and may we see them restored to fellowship with God and with his people. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. And Lord, when we consider our own lives, our own, our own sinfulness, Lord, when we're honest, our own struggles, Lord, we're very grateful that you are the shepherd who keeps watch over us. 
that you are the one who is watching over our souls and who has them securely in his kind and loving grasp. But Lord, we also acknowledge that there are times when we stray, when our brothers and sisters might wander. And so we ask, Lord, that you would reveal if there is in us, Lord, a heart of despising the little ones. And Father, if there is, would you, would you expose that and convict us of that, Lord, that we might repent of it and be humbled before you. Father, I pray that you would transform our hearts to be like yours, that you would give us eyes to see your people the same way you do. And Lord, that can be so hard at times when, uh, when they may be making our own lives difficult. But when we consider you, Lord Jesus, on the cross, Lord, you gave up your life for your sheep as they mocked you and, and crucified you. And Lord, would you help us to have the same mind that we'd be willing to go after those sheep that you have purchased. Having the same love and care for them that you do. Viewing them the same way that you do. Desiring them, Lord, to have fellowship with you and with their brothers and sisters. Would you help us to have that heart? And Lord, in, in humility and in gentleness, uh, to go after them when they stray, to encourage them, to reach out to them, Lord. Because we know that it is you who works on the heart, Lord. You are the God who changes hearts. You are the God that brings sheep back. But you are also the God who works through us. And so, Father, would you help us to put our own fears or apathy or, or whatever it might be aside, that we might be useful in your hand to bring back those straying sheep. And, Father, may all of that be done and driven by love for you and love for them. And so, Lord, give us uh, different eyes to see from your perspective. And, Lord, different hearts to love with your love, that your church might be built up to the glory of Christ. We pray all of this in his holy name, the name of our good shepherd. Amen. Uh,